So, Caleb, I have one. Oh. See, yes, I've, I finished that. A, a whole novel. I finished that today, good sir. The, the sailor... Who fell? This is weird. How the like you can't. Read yeah, that's why. Like at first, like at first, I was like, I had to go to, to the read spine. The, yeah, the sailor who fell from grace with the sea. It's already a mouthful of a title, but they have it all. The letters and words all swirled yeah. up on the cover of this Yukio Mishima paperback. You know, because I was thinking about that, and I know originally you were talking about the um, uh, you may be reading the Dead Zone, but. That felt kind of funny because of the size of the books and stuff like that, you know. I still think you should read Dead Zone. Like, maybe that be wouldn't be your next Stephen King whenever you do, you know, read uh, Mr. King again. That I would say that would be a good one, you know, especially if you're looking for, like, a palate cleanser kind of thing. So, I have some options for your book to, you know... For your, for your part of the, you know, the deal. Well, I couldn't remember if you had all of these in your nice... Uh, H.G. Wells collection of books that I that I got you, but I figured regardless, uh, I think I do have all these actually. But I figured regardless, whenever you do get around to reading it, you might not want to carry that whole thing around just to read one story, right? So I figured you could pick from I'll let you pick from the probably the four most famous uh H.G. Wells story of. I think I'm going island. Island, yeah. yeah. What's the deal on this? When am I supposed to read this? Whenever. Just whenever. Yeah, just, you know, that's what you have to read for me, reading your creepy child I thought, molester and... I thought I had to read a Stephen King book. Well, that's what I was... I was thinking that, but like I said, I figured, like, even, like, the size difference, even, like, on a smaller one of his stuff, like, it'd be, like, a yeah. short story, you know what I mean? So, but I figured these are around the same short, yes. same size and, and have that, like, um, literature, you know, that classic literature kind of, you know, feel to it, too. I like the way you think, buddy. Yeah, and I figured, uh, since I had all four of them, I figured I'd let you you take a pick, and you said you'd go with uh, The Island, Island of Dr. Dr. Monroe. Did you read that one? Yeah, I did. He was pretty good? Yeah. Can I spoil everything for you? I started reading different seasons today. Oh, did you? I'm okay. almost done with the Shawshank Redemption oh, already. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> I'm really, really enjoying it. I was going to read The Dead Zone, but I was like, that's pretty long, even yeah. though I think this collection's long as well, but short stories I usually blow through mm-hmm. pretty quick. But uh, as a palate cleanser goes, I was like, I don't know, because I don't know if the Dead Zone is really actually like horror or just supernatural. Yeah. But I wanted something that wasn't either, really. Yeah. And as far as I know, the stories in different seasons aren't supernatural, at least the the popular ones. Yeah. So I I went with that because that's probably as close as King gets to literary. Mm -hmm. Shawshank, The Body. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember what App Pupil was about. Uh, where, like, this high school kid is, like, ends up helping, like, this old guy who ends up being, uh, like, a Nazi who escaped, and then, like, kinda, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but kinda gets brainwashed or kinda stuff, like, you know, it's it's one of those things. They made fun of it that one time in that, uh, episode of Family Guy. Right. Whenever the, the, the older guy, the other older guy across the street was fighting Herbert for Chris. Oh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll ch- I'll check it out. I'll yeah. I'll get to it eventually here. Uh, so you said you uh you finished Shawshank or you almost done? With I'm at the end of it. I started reading it today. It's a fast read, even though it's a pretty long story. It's it's good though, right? It makes me mad because Stephen King. You know what? This is actually going into the episode. Oh, okay. DBS episode we're gonna have oh, today. Nice. For those who don't want to read the title, I guess, I don't know. Uh, the episode is going to be along the lines of a classic lit group post I saw where they were asking, now that Cormac McCarthy has passed away, who the greatest 
They said living author is. Mm. Uh, most people referred to Cormac McCarthy as the greatest living American author. So saying worldwide author is a pretty big uh, yeah. thing, uh, you know. But even if you did go that route and thought he was the greatest living author, period, uh, now that he's not, who is the greatest living author? I had some suggestions in that that weren't so popular. Ooh. Actually, yeah, I didn't see that post yet. Actually, uh, I had a lot of more backers than I thought, but we'll get Ooh. into that in the main episode. What was I talking about? Oh, Stephen King is going to fall into that. Yeah. But you know what? Again, we'll save that. I do want to read the back of this uh, sailor who fell from... I think I read a part of this, the cat scene, I think I actually read on episodes many moons ago. Oh, really? But I just the back. That. This doesn't have a synopsis no, or anything. It just says, the most ungentle night of all came toward the end of summer vacation. Mm. So what did you think of the end of this, though? Spoiler alert, everyone, we're going to spoil the end of this book right now, and it, I think it's still a really good book. I mean, it, it's very well written. Probably not something you would like pick out from a yeah. shelf and go, yeah, I'm reading this one. It kind of had the same uh, effect of, like, um, with iRobot that, you know, that I just read to, like, when I was reading it, I would be enjoying it and liking it, but it never, like, beckoned me to, yeah. like, if I were just sitting there reading something else or watching TV, it never, like, was like, Hey, read me, read me. It's one of those ones that take longer to read than the length of the story suggests it would. Right. The ending, I kind of, it was a little, is a little teasy. Like, I would have liked to actually, the thing to happen. They killed the feller. Yeah, but like, you don't, you don't, uh, he just drinks the tea that's heavily drugged. Like, you know what I mean? Poisoned. Yeah, I mean, like. He dies, though. Yeah, he definitely dies. But I mean, like. I want to see the white movie that they made out of this. Right. The whitewashed movie in the 70s. Um, because, like, I mean, like, very early on in the thing, they talk about fucking, like, just torturing this cat. Yeah. But when it comes to the fucking this sailor guy, it's fucking all like, oh, he drank tea and it just, you know, and he's telling stories, you know. And it's just like, well, they could at least have, like, he talked about him, like, passing out or like, yeah. something, like, you know what I mean? Them taking his body out to the sea or, or something, like, you know what I mean? This, it's been many years since I read this. Like, I, I forgot about all the, the sexual nonsense. But from what I remember, the themes of this book were, like, masculinity, this kid kind of wanting to be a man and also needing a father figure, I think. And that's where the sailor comes in to yeah. play. But then the sailor lets him down because the sailor had this freedom of being at sea or something along those lines. And once he decided to settle down with the kid's mom, the kid looked at him like, no, you're supposed to be the man yeah. I'm looking up to. And now you're just going to be a little bitch, a little stay at home husband bitch. And then he like he kills him. Well, like, it's rough. And then also, like, I didn't realize until like later in the in the book that the kid's like 13. Yeah. I thought he was like a little, I thought he, I was thinking around like eight or 10. Yeah. That's what you, you're, it, you have to think though, 19, when was this? Forties, fifties. I don't remember when this takes place. Thirties, forties or fifties, Japan. Yeah. Okay. So what is like a 13 year old boy in Japan? Like then probably very young compared to what they would be. Well, I don't know. They probably had to go to work and stuff. Yeah. It's probably older. Actually. I'm probably wrong. So here's how this book ends. This is the very end of the book. I'm, I'm going to spoil for everyone. Waves as tepid as blood inside an atoll. The tropical sun blaring across the sky like the call of a brass trumpet. The many colored sea. Sharks. Another step or two and Ryuji would have regretted it. Here's your tea, Noboru offered from behind him, thrusting a dark brown plastic cup near Ryuji's cheek. Absently, Ryuji took it. He noticed Noboru's hand trembling slightly, probably from the cold. Still immersed in his dream, he drank down the tepid tea. It tasted bitter. 
glory, as anyone knows, is bitter stuff. The end. Yeah, and <laughs> he died. <laughs> Unless that kid was an idiot and didn't poison him properly. Or he didn't drink the rest of the tea. I don't know. I don't remember what he poisoned it with. Do you? Like sleeping pills. Uh, so maybe he didn't die. Well, they put like eight of them in there. Yeah, but that's only if he drinks the whole thing. Yeah. And somebody doesn't find him and revive him, you know, pump his stomach. Well, I, if I remember correctly, the plan was like they were going to use the, 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 you know, the stuff to drug him and like basically do what they did to him, what they did to the cat. Murder. Yeah. Yeah, that cat scene's awful and it was... uh very blatant foreshadowing of what supposedly comes later. At least it's not shown. Uh, but anyway, we'll get into some more book discussions here in a minute uh, after this fine intro music. And Spencer gets a name that I got to should probably be Japanesey. Maybe. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Yokohama Yacht YouTuber Church. Oh, yeah? YouTubing about yachts. Uh, Real popular this time of year with the whole uh, missing submarine. Yes. The, the death of the, the rich people. Uh, I'm going to play that violin. The Titanic <laughs> violin. I can't. I don't remember the song. So, Spencer. Caleb. We brought up the fact that this episode is going to be about something. No, hold open. I don't remember. Oh, in my classic lit group that we are both members of, actually, mm-hmm. because we are fancy high society folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have two monocles. I have a double monocle. <laughs> you some call it glasses, but it's not connected. <laughs> They're not connected. So it's just very impractical glasses. You just squeeze your eyes real hard. In the group, someone posed the question. After Cormac McCarthy's passing, who is the greatest living author? And I like that he said a greatest living author instead of greatest uh, living American author because that narrows it down a lot. Yeah. So living author, we get to expand. Now, there was a couple. I'm not going to bring up the post because that was probably a week ago and I can't find it. But I need to look up something real quick. Do you remember the name of that book we were going to read soon that... Never mind, I found it. So anyway, so a few of the names listed, rightly so, Haruki Murakami. Yeah. And uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, who is that uh, Claire in the Sun book we were going to read at some point. Mm. Uh, He's a Nobel Prize winning author, British-Japanese author. So those are pretty much what I think most people have settled as the two current greatest living authors now. I can't really find fault. Well, I, I haven't read Ishiguro's work yet, so I can't really judge, but just... Off his credentials, I would say that's probably uh, probable. Uh, some of the other names thrown around were, I think, like Colson Whitehead, though I don't think his bibliography is large enough to... I, I feel like you have to have at least like five solid, solid award-winning books under your belt if you're really going to take that title. Who else was on that list? I'm going to actually have to bring up that post because I'm interested to in what other people said. But mine was a controversial pick, Spencer. Yeah. Can you guess what my controversial pick was? Would it have been greatest what? living American or just greatest living author? Would it have been who I would have picked? No. Oh, okay. But probably uh, this close second if you thought about it. Um, I, I know I should because uh, mine would be Stephen King, but that's no, that's not what you're. So who? But that is going to be in our argument yeah. in a minute here. I'm going to throw a dumb who? Who? who Neil knows? Gaiman. Oh yeah, Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my criteria, and it's probably a little different. 
from what the people in the group went at. Because uh, like I said, most people actually backed me on this, which made me happy. But then there were some people who poo-pooed the idea as uh, some kind of boisterous nonsense. Like I was just bragging about Neil Gaiman like one would brag about Stephen King. Oh, he's just, no, he's just, like, I, I, I preface by saying this is an unpopular opinion. Yeah. So most likely most people won't like it. But my criteria is not, I mean, obviously popularity is the one that a lot of people say discredits the author for whatever reason anymore, you know, in the literary circles. So, because like Cormac McCarthy wasn't very popular until the 90s. You know, he was like 60 years old before he got popular. I don't think popularity is one a uh, reason to rule an author out just because they're a bestseller and, you know, suburban moms and teenagers read them as well. Yeah, because I think that has to be a part of it. Like, yeah. Because you're not that great if not a wide group of people know. Like, if only a select few. Like, yeah. if these, like, these literary nerds, you know what I mean? If it's only them, they're like, well, he doesn't like... Well, then that's like 5% of the of the population. If that, if that, of the reading population. And another thing about that, which somebody was hammering me about. Okay, I found the original post, so I'm going to read that yeah. first. To all lovers of classic literature, I have a question. And to those who don't, well, don't bother. Misspelling there or something. So those who don't bother. Now that Cormac McCarthy has left us and belongs to the ages, who in the classic tradition of Dumas, Twain, De Maurier, whoever that is, Hemingway, Melville, Dostoevsky, and Faulkner is the best living writer. What I really found interesting was that they mentioned Twain. Yeah, because I was just gonna, I was gonna say that, like, if you go by popularity, yeah, if you bring up Mark Twain, and like, I haven't read him, but I know from you, like, he does have like a good writing style. But it's like, if you're gonna mention him, that leaves the door open for like the Stephen Kings, the Neil Gaimans. That those kind of guys. Well, uh, one guy was hammering me about it. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to even find. Really, I can't find. How does it not show your own comment is the top comment? Like, wouldn't that make sense since it's you trying to? Yeah. Can't even. Now I gotta go back and find because there's 150 comments on here. Jeez. So I have to go back and find somebody replying to my comment. Here's a reaction. But this guy, I brought that up because he was he was scoffing at the Neil Gaiman comparison, and I said. Something along the lines of, you know, well, what about Mark Twain? I mean, he was popular, and you read Huckleberry Finn, it's not much different than a Neil Gaiman story. Yeah. Where, where you know, touching on certain themes and stuff, but it's still a fun story that uh, isn't written in a literary way, what this guy would consider. And he pretty much scoffs. So let me, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to put that guy on blast, too, mm. if I can. So here was my reply. This probably won't be a popular opinion in this group. But besides Haruki Murakami and Kazuo Ishiguro, I think Neil Gaiman has a valid claim to the title due to the large amount of quality work he has put out. And I think that's very important. Also uh, in, like, multiple media for, like, you know... Well, here, I, I continue. He has also successfully tackled many genres and mediums, whether it be mythology, children's books, comic books, or any other popular form of writing. He has excelled. Though I'm a bit biased because I haven't read any work of his I haven't enjoyed yet. Yeah. But I think that's a very important part is not only is he consistent with work that is like either good or excellent, but he also has it in various mediums. Whereas a lot of writers, it's only the oh, just a yeah. novelist or just a short story writer, or maybe short stories and not. Well, he's yeah. done it all and he's been great at all of it. Yeah. So I think there should be some validity to the claim that he could be the greatest living writer based on the amount of work he puts out, and the quality of said work. So this guy said, nah, Gaiman is still very much a comic book writer. I can't think of a Ooh. single thing he's written that I call literature. Oh, wow. How does that make you feel, though? It's like, have you 
clearly, clearly this guy hasn't read a novel of Neil Gaiman's if you think he's only a comic and, book writer. And, and honestly, like, okay, like, you gotta tell me, like, Sandman isn't, like, literature. We won't even go into that right now. Mike countered, what do you think makes something literature? I am being a bit snobby here, at least he admitted it, yeah. but Neil Gaiman is the Tim Burton of writing. Hugely popular, but I don't get anything meaningful from him besides style, image, and a brand that's familiar and comforting to me. And I said, didn't people think the same of Mark Twain while he was alive? Because I was the biggest grape of Mark Twain was, well, he's not a literary writer. He's a pop writer. Yeah. Which he was. Uh, And this, I I actually don't think that guy, uh, he did reply one more time. Lol. He's going to punch you. Neil Gaiman is no Mark Twain either. When asking who's the next greatest living writer now that Cormac is gone, Neil isn't it. And his grammar and punctuation is terrible. And then a lot of people actually defended me, and a whole bunch of people said that American Gods not only was one of their favorite books of all time, but really touched them. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, maybe fuck you, buddy. Like, just because you don't like Neil Gaiman doesn't mean he doesn't... I'm not saying he is... I'm just saying he has a claim to the title. Yeah. If you're talking about living writers right now, I would still probably go Haruki Murakami. Uh, and again, I haven't read Ishigaru's work, so I can't judge him yet. But as far and and there's a shit ton of great writers I haven't read that are real right. popular. I want your opinion real quick while I look up some of these replies because I want to see what some other people were saying about um, like what the, you know who they would put yeah. on their list, but. Uh, if you want to follow up on your Sandman comment real quick. Well, I'm just saying, just like the um, the themes and the things he talks about and how he talks about them. Like, if you actually read, like, the Sandman, like, that, it's literature with pictures. As you, Alan you, Moore showed us, it could be literary in comic book form. Right. You like, can't read Watchmen and go, oh, no, that's nothing literary about that. Same with Sandman. That you, you said that did it. I wonder. I wonder if anybody said uh, Alan Moore. You know what? I would say Alan Moore has the claim. If we're going, because I don't know if I fully broke. I don't remember if I fully broke down the criteria I have. But obviously, like popularity and sales is not the big factor in what makes somebody the greatest writer yeah. versus just the best-selling writer. Because obviously, then you'd have your, you know, uh, James Coons. Patterson, Dean Coons, whatever. As far as just like the quality of work and stuff. And then I don't know how many I know Neil Gaiman's uh, won many many awards, but yeah. not like the Pulitzer or the uh, Nobel Prize. I don't think he's even been nominated in any of those you know such things. I don't even know if he's really won like a Booker Award. He might have. I know he's you know usually it's more he's lumped in with genre specific stuff, but that yeah. he does focus on that kind of stuff, which I don't think that's wrong. No, well that's it. Like with the Alan Moore thing, like remember the other day I sent you that reel. I was like, it was like an old like interview with Alan Moore, and he was talking about the swamp thing. And it's fucking great. And he read this passage from one, one of the issues that he wrote, and it's just like amazing. And he's talking about you know swamp things, like you know like how he has this power of a god, and like how he could change the world and make everything great, but within doing so, it would cause the collapse of everything else. And yeah. Stuff. Just like, is this what it's like to be a god? It's about yeah. the checks and balances. Yeah, like to have the power to do anything, but not able to do anything. It, yeah, it's very profound, and that was his comic book stuff, but where Alan Moore falls short is where he would also uh, be in conversation here, and that is not just popularity, but I won't even say mainstream appeal. I will say readability Yeah, uh, for the general audience. He falls into the James Joyce category, where yes, he can claim, maybe even a Fitzgerald, he can claim being the greatest writer in his time period. But the fact, like you mentioned earlier, well, how many people are actually reading it? Though? Yeah. 
So for the two percent of the world's population who ever two re- percent negative point five percent of the world, the two people on the planet, including myself, who read Jerusalem, <laughs> yeah. can attest that it's one of the greatest novels ever written ever. But also could be one of the terrible novels. But it ever could also be one of the worst novels. It's like Infinite Jest or uh, Gravity's Rain. One of those books that's so dense and hard and pointless. It's just or not pointless, but it's like. You feel like you've just been reading it for 80 years. It's like, why is this written? James Joyce's Ulysses, one of the greatest novels ever, but is it? Yeah. Uh, it's experimental, sure. But Alan Moore, like I said, he has enough novels out that he can have the claim to the title from literary merit. But again, a lot of these people wouldn't even give him the credit because they would just assume comic guy because yeah. they never even read his novels, never even gave it a chance. So some of these other ones here that people mention, a lot of them are just repeating the same ones, so I'm thinking there's not too many. That's what I was trying to think, because, like, most of the people I know... When I looked I, it up, like, greatest living authors, it was just a bunch of pop writers, mostly. Yeah. So this person considers Thomas Pynchon, who wrote Gravity's Rainbow, the greatest living writer. Uh, he says his body of work is equal to Dostoevsky or Dickens. Uh, he has four 1,000-page masterpieces and many other novels. He is the most important postmodern writer in the history of what of that genre. So that goes along the lines of what we were just saying to Alan Moore, though. I can't name any other pension novels, and most people can't. And I don't know if he's still writing. I think he's a 1,000 years old. But I'm sure he does lay claim if you just go by literary merit alone. Does uh, anybody say the um, he had a master class on... You know, uh, we were thinking about watch, or you might have watched. Uh, Salman Rushdie came up a yeah. bunch of times. Um, now, Salman Rushdie is one, I would say he's above Thomas Pynchon in that not only does he have this dense literary work that is beloved by literary readers, but he is also a bestseller. Yeah. And his work, Pynchon's a bestseller as well, but I feel like Salman Rushdie, I mean, obviously, He's touched people to a degree that somebody stabbed the fuck out of him <laughs> on stage, and he's old now. Like, they stabbed him in the eye, I think, uh, because uh, uh, what was that book? Oh, I can't remember. The Satanic Verses, I think it was called. Mm. Um, it was very controversial. I don't think it was anti-Muslim, but people took it that way, maybe. Basically, like, a lot of Muslim countries, I believe, have, like, a hit out on them. Yeah. Like, a lifetime hit. So, I would say Salman Rushdie, again, I just haven't read him. Uh, I might, you know, if I read Salman Rushdie, I might leapfrog him above Neil Gaiman by, you know, a a large metric here. Now, this was an interesting one I think you'll enjoy. This person said, best living author, and they had a little list, Stephen King. Yeah. One, James Lee Burke and Dennis Lehane. I want to stay, stay, uh, keep Stephen King to last because I think you'll have more to discuss on that. This person said Colson Whitehead. This one said Don DeLillo, Richard Ford, Jonathan Franzen. A lot of these people I don't know. Yeah, you say, yeah a lot of these names I don't recommend. Which automatically makes me think, can they be the, considered the greatest living author if people outside of literary circles haven't read them? Right. Like, if like I put it this way, like, has my mom heard of them? Mm. Then, like, how? It's tricky then. This one says Margaret Atwood and Susan Collins. I haven't read Margaret Atwood's prose, but obviously she has uh, some impact on the zeitgeist because, you know, the Handmaid's Tale and whatnot. Uh, This person says Colson Whitehead, Julia Atsuka, George Saunders, Elizabeth McCracken, Amy Tan, Amor Towles, Min Jin Lee, Don DeLillo, Teja Cole, Joyce Carol Oates, I forgot about her, uh, Chimanda Ngozi Adichie, and I've also forgot to mention... That this list, or just the general, consider the greatest writer of all time, 
is very Western for the most part until you get to the Japanese writers, such yeah. as mainly Haruki Murakami and Ishiguro. And that's why it's very interesting that you, if you have these Japanese writers on a lot of these Americans and just Western readers list, kind of bumps them up, doesn't it? I mean, if you got Haruki Murakami, that is often people think he's come up many times as a, not the Nobel Prize winner, but, you know, second place. Mm-hmm. It makes you think maybe he takes the claim. And I would yeah. be fine with that. Yeah. I would say that's very possible. Uh, and he's still writing to this day. So keep it up, Mr. Haruki Murakami. Another one said Pynchon, Donna Tart, Wendell Berry. This one said both Kazu Ishiguro and Margaret Atwood are in contention for their body of work. And I think that's the main thing. You have to go body of work, right? You would think so. That, like, that's, that's obviously the main thing. Is you, not, you have to go by the work. Uh, and like I said, the consistency of quality throughout that body of work. Well, I didn't say like um, Cormac, though, didn't have like a huge body, right? Uh, t- like 10 maybe- to 15 books, maybe. But the thing about Cormac McCarthy, which at least according to anyone that's a Cormacian scholar, they say he's the one writer who's never put out, not only hasn't put out a bad novel, but every novel was genius. I mean, that's a, I mean, some say there's, you know, maybe it wasn't my favorite or maybe I, I didn't even like the novel, like the story or whatever, but the writing, even like Faulkner, he's had a couple big duds. Hemingway had at least one big dud. Most writers had uh, some duds in their catalog, whereas Cormac McCarthy apparently has never had a dud. The only thing he wrote that sucked was a screenplay. And I don't think that counts. Of course. Are you judging the new books that, you know, he just released before his death? I don't know. A lot of people, like we talked about on that Cormac McCarthy episode, uh, I was very math and physics heavy, so you might not be a fan of that. But again, just because the writing, it might still, uh, you know, be incredible if you're an academic. And yeah. For the general guys like us, maybe we wouldn't think, you know, we read Blood Meridian. We're like, come on, what the yeah. fuck is this? But obviously we could both appreciate the writing. We just, it wasn't for us. That's probably about as... Uh, you know, the well-known writers we're going to get. we got another uh, Stephen King fan. Haruki Murakami and Stephen King both have my vote. Yeah. So let's get on to the King Man, if you will. He falls in the Neil Gaiman category, even more so when it comes to, like how I mentioned, uh, uh, Margaret Atwood with the, you know, being in the zeitgeist yeah. there with the, the Handmaid's Tale. Stephen King obviously has shaped American yeah. culture to a high degree. Like our um, entertainment culture is heavily influenced more by Stephen King than I would say almost any author. Yeah. At least in the last hundred years. I mean, there's plenty of authors where we still, you know, you're always going to have your great Gatsby adaptations. You're going to have your, even if you go worldwide, you're, you know, Lord of the Rings stuff mm-hmm. and things like that. But Stephen King has had the widest web cast, the yeah. widest net cast. Uh, you know, anything from the original just carry to now, he still has things yeah. that people are like, yeah, let's make that a movie. Let's make yeah. it a show. He's had a huge resurgence in the last 10 years of shows and things coming. And I was fucking kid, Joe Hill. Same thing. Just as good, if not better in some regards. I'm really interested to see how his career pans out. Like, I would love to see him just keep improving over time. So where would you, I know you're personally, you would say Stephen King tops the list. Yeah. But where would you put him if you were like a literary snob, but can not a snob to the degree that you couldn't appreciate storytelling and fun stories and the importance of actually being popular? I think I would still have to put him up there because, like, we were just talking about, like, in the cold open, like, you got, like, Shawshank and The Body and Green Mile and, you know, some other short stories that kind of fall in that stuff where they're like, 
doesn't have anything to do with like horror or supernatural or anything like that, but it's still like really good and like hits on like um like okay so um the 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 um podcast like the king cast they were i was listening to one of the new episodes where they were talking to a lady about the green mile and they would just they got into this and they and it just it happened really naturally but they just kind of got into this conversation about like the death penalty and are you for the get death penalty are you against the death penalty well what about if it was somebody who did something to one of your family members like you know yeah. what i mean if you can get that kind of conversation and stuff going with your work i think that's one of the things that helps put you up into that tier of like <clears throat> that puts yes, you up in the literary tier yes because like yes it's still entertaining and it's fun to read and stuff but like there's real issues there to it and it makes you think and like in the Green Mile, John Coffey, he's innocent, but then still throughout the thing, he still he kills one of the other inmates, like, you yeah. know. So it's like then he's not then he's not innocent like anymore. And it, it just it it tackles and plays with all those themes and questions and stuff like that. And probably the same with uh uh Shawshank that you were saying that you would just get done reading. I'm sure it does a lot of it plays with like a lot of that oh, stuff yeah. too. So I just think it's like they don't give him get give him his due because they're just like oh horror or supernatural and it's like yeah but there's also a lot more other stuff that he does and okay some of his like newer really good stuff has been like crime thriller things yeah and again like okay maybe the literature people might not like that but like they're good and they're entertaining and I um. I I don't know, and like and like I said, like all those names that you just read off that list, I've never heard of any of those motherfuckers. <laughs> and nothing against them; they could be really good writers. I mean, hell, I might have to go on there and write some of those names down and check them out. Like, so they could be really good, but they're just not changing the culture. In that yeah. Way. Well, the one thing that really annoys me about the literary folk. As someone who reads a lot of classic literature and, you know, postmodernist stuff. You and, you have better insight on this than I would. Yeah, or even when we're talking about like the Yuko Mishima book and stuff. Like, that's very well written, but there's a lot of, I'll just put it very basically, there's a lot of novels I've read or stories I've read from classic authors or consider some of the greatest authors where there's a lot of parts of it where I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Never had that with the Stephen King novel. I think there is something to be said for being able to tell a story so well that you don't even really acknowledge that you're reading. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that uh, Shawshank Redemption story is actually pretty long, and I'm almost done with it. I just started reading it, like, I don't know, right before you came over. Yeah. Like, I was just flying through it, and it's because you don't get hung up on anything, and it's not written so simply that it's boring, like a Twilight or something where you're just like, oh, God, this sucks. Like, he has such a fluid way of telling a story that entertains you but keeps you immersed in the world and I don't, and Neil Gaiman as well does that. That's why I he, I put him on my list. I don't understand why literary folks frown on that, or why not using superly complex metaphors all the time and write in a poetic way, like that Ray Bradbury book, something wicked this way comes. I read. I really enjoyed it, but I I didn't understand everything that was happening. Mm -hmm. I just kind of let it flow and uh, read through it. But a lot of it was really complex and stuff. Like reading poetry, it was like I don't know what that's supposed to mean. And that's not always an enjoyable read when you have that kind of stuff. It makes you feel stupid. And I don't think every piece of prose needs to be broken down and studied mm -hmm. either. I don't think you need to examine every story ever written from an author. So Stephen King, 
Yeah, you can just read the Shawshank Redemption. You get the whole story, and you don't have to go back and like, oh, what is this? What is he trying to say here? What is this an allegory for? You don't have to do yeah. that. And I think that's fine. Why does that discount you? You didn't do that with Twain, did you? No. When I read fucking Mark Twain, I didn't remember going back and going, what was this actually? What was he really trying yeah. to say? No. My my point is, Stephen King and Neil Gaiman are just as qualified to be the greatest living author as Mark Twain was in his time. Yeah. Because I think that, and people you know, will say, oh, he's no Mark Twain. I think they're on the same fucking level. Yeah. I never read any Mark Twain. I read some of his short stories and stuff. I never read any Mark Twain that made me think, oh, this guy was like something I could never write. This guy was on a, a tier. He was up there with Dickens and Melville yeah. at the time. No, he, he wasn't. He was a satirist. He was a fun writer. He was a pop writer. Even Edgar Allan Poe was much more complex yeah. than uh, Mark Twain. Hell, they, uh, there's some people that like to give him the title as like the first stand-up comedian. Which he was because he actually went on tour and you, you know made people laugh. So I don't understand why we really split these hairs with modern genre writers who aren't even strictly genre. Another thing with Stephen King, like, I dare you to try to find somebody who who can write better characters than Stephen King. Like, even, like, third-tier background mm. characters that might have, like, two lines in, a, in the whole fucking book are better and more thought out and defined than some main characters in other books that I've read. Well, put it this way. In the Shawshank, uh, because I've seen the movie 50,000 times. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of characters in the movies that are only mentioned for a paragraph in in the story. But the way Stephen King does it when he talks about them, he instantly, without even giving them dialogue makes their character so interesting that they fleshed it out yeah. fleshed it out in the movie like the character of Brooks yeah. I think it was the name the old man that had mm-hmm. the you know the pigeon and stuff yeah. the guy that worked in the library they fleshed that out a lot more in the movie and but for just for like this one or two paragraphs he made the character interesting enough he's like oh well I want to know about that guy and he yeah. does that all the time in his stories it just makes you want to read more uh, about these other characters that aren't even important yeah so I think that says something too and uh, there's a lot of great writers who you read their great literary books and I don't give a fuck about the characters. I'm not invested in the outcome. Usually that's what happens when I read a lot of stuff. Even when we read The Stranger, I didn't really care what happened to no. the dude. Well, I mean, even in the the, 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 the C book, like, I give a fuck about any of those people. No. Even the fucking sailor. And, like, he was, like, the best guy in the whole thing. And like, I give a fuck about anybody in that. I would probably still say Haruki Murakami just because... He does touch the literary side more than Neil Gaiman does, but I think Neil Gaiman and Stephen King are right up there, top those, five. Those, those would be my top three in whichever order you wanted to put them in. And obviously, like we both mentioned, there's a lot of those authors that we saw on that list that I had never even heard of, uh, or the ones I have heard of, I haven't read their work yet. But again, like even like us who who we have a reading and writing podcast for how many years, been serious, like, you know, we each have been getting into, like, almost 20, at least 20 books a year, and, like, and if we haven't at least heard of these guys. Well, and that's the thing, too, because I also listen to a shit ton of literary and book podcast, and they're not, these people aren't brought up for the most part. Even Colson Whitehead, who I, you know, he's an award winner and stuff, and I'm very aware of his work. Uh, I mentioned on the past we need to read some of his stuff, but even so, I have never even heard his stuff talked about on too many podcasts, really. Like, I haven't come up across it. So it's like, he's, maybe he's too new? Because I think he only came out in the last, like, popular-wise, the last 15 years or so, maybe. I fear to, like, because, you know, to 
He's probably closing it off here soon. I fear, like, because, like, people do give Stephen King, like, his due a lot, but I fear that he really won't get his actual due until after he's gone. He'll be like Mark Twain. It'll be 50 to 100 years later when people were writing shit stuff, and they're like, you remember those stories? And Stephen King, to me, is what Bram Stoker was, or Mary Shelley, or even H.P. Lovecraft, creating lasting characters that are going to be here well after he's gone. Mm. So you think in another 100 years, we might not be talking about Cthulhu as much unless there's a... I mean, obviously, there's going to be a resurgence with the copyright stuff. But we might not talk about Cthulhu or Frankenstein or Dracula as much because it might... Conan. Yeah, or Conan. But maybe we'll start talking about Pennywise yeah. or, you know, The Shining or any of the works Stephen King's created. Or Neil Gaiman because he he has uh, not so much original characters, but just his, his books and novel or uh, stories. And there's also... Because you just brought up Conan... Like, I think we've talked about before, I don't understand why uh, pulp writers and genre-specific writers like Robert E. Howard, Michael Moorcock, um, oh, who's the other one we always are supposed to read? We never do. Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Why do these guys never get their dues? Like, I mean, in their circle, yes, but they never ever were in leagues of discussion when it comes to greatest living writer when they were, or just greatest writer of their time. Because especially, like, those old pulp things, because, like, they were, like, on such a tight schedule most of the time. Just and they're tearing, so well written. And tearing out stories after stories after stories. Like, you know, like, uh, McCarthy, like, how many years would it be in between each book? And like, okay, yeah, maybe that's why it might be so quote-unquote well-written, but, like, if it takes you, like, a half a decade to put out a book. Mm, I don't know. Regardless, I think it's an interesting topic. It is, it is. I would like to explore it once again after maybe we research some different authors, but I think our I don't think our opinions are gonna change too much. No. If anything, it would just be like giving those guys like they do do like yes, they're very talented and stuff, but still. At some point I'd like to do an episode on the greatest authors of all time. Yeah. And then try to give our takes on that. I still have a lot more reading to do. I have mm. to read more Dostoevsky, I have to read Tolstoy. Uh, I would like to read more Dickens, which I think you'd like Dickens. Yeah, he he is one that I have been wanting to to kind of get her yeah. to. Read more Ray Bradbury, more Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut. There's just so many authors that we have to read the, or read more of. Though to 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 be fair, the the one knock against Stephen King is that he, you know, they they say uh, Cormac, like you were saying that they say that uh, he hasn't had like a the, clunker, the consistency of work. Yeah. No, uh, you could say that there's probably Stephen been King's some, had stretches. Yeah, uh, but even still, like those books are enjoyable. But yeah, they might not be up there with you know like his stands and 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 stuff like that. If I if I may, I wanted to touch one more thing. Oh hey <laughs> hey oh get your hands jiggly, away jiggly, from jiggly, jiggly. <laughs> No, uh, Steve, uh, Neil Gaiman. Uh, I think it also should be celebrated. I, I talked about his uh, exploration of different mediums and how he excels at them. I also think it's very important that you can write in a way or in a format that is very unsuspecting for most general audiences and still becomes amazing. Yeah. He's a kid's book writer as well. Yeah. And has done what I would consider literary kid books as close as you can get. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can write a literary kid book, but what kid's yeah. going to read it? But like a quarter line, kids love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's still like. It, it could touch adult audiences well, who read well, it. Even like that graveyard book you're talking about. Yeah, the graveyard book especially. I think it's just, that's one of, that has to be one of the most difficult feats, in my opinion, as a writer, is to write a children's book that adults 
read and like yeah. the same as the children would. Like you could both take something away from it. And then you can even if you're a kid and you read Coraline and then you read it in your 20s, you'd be like, oh, man, yeah. I didn't even notice the, you know, the, how the par- I didn't even think how the parents would feel, right. or, you know, things like that. Yeah, could you imagine McCarthy trying to write a ch- children's book? They would all get fucking murdered. <laughs> It'd just be a bunch of infanticide, like just babies murder, and who knows what else. And then the judge appears. Like, oh, no, God, no, not the judge. Not the children. A baby judge. Uh, a baby judge. He was never a baby. <laughs> he came out fully formed. What do you think of the theory that the judge is just, because uh, Cormac McCarthy's a huge Melville fan, apparently, or was, that the judge is Moby Dick. The judge is the white whale. Because well, you remember he's like a big old tall bino. Yeah. He was this threatening force that see that we'll end on this because this is something most people don't care about. I don't think that's quite accurate because Moby Dick wasn't out there just fucking trying to kill all the sailors. They were the Ahab was going after Moby Dick and he was defending yeah, himself. The it, judge was just a menacing asshole. Yeah, like wasn't Moby Dick more about like the chase? Of trying to get the, you know, to get Moby Dick to get the whale. Let's be honest. Moby Dick was mainly about Melville trying to write many, as many styles as he can <laughs> in one book. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's, that's what that was. So anyway, folks, we thank you for listening. You can check us out at DPW Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can follow Spencer's OnlyFans. What are you this month? The Yokohama... Yacht YouTuber? Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. The dumb one. Yeah. I liked your original one. He <laughs> said he was going to be the yo-yo yanker. Yeah. And I was like, that's too simplistic. <laughs> but that makes sense. That's too wholesome. Yeah. But I guess yacht, YouTubing about yachts isn't really dastardly. No. It doesn't fit your motif. Uh, I am Caleb James, and you can follow me at CalebJamesK.com, where one day I'll get some goddamn responses <laughs> for you folks. I haven't gotten any, and I've been waiting and waiting. And waiting. And you know what? That's my biggest gripe as a writer. All the waiting you have to do. Unless you're Spencer who hears back immediately and just <laughs> gets accepted and gets money. Uh, but the rest of us working stiffs, we don't hear back for years at a time. Uh, so thank you for listening and we'll check you out next time.